Okay, how'd you guys sleep last night? Yeah? All right, let's do this. Show of hands, who got more than one hour of sleep? Okay. Who got more than uh, four hours of sleep? Who got eight hours of sleep? Okay. Let's do this. Show of hands, who's tired? Okay, that's most of you guys. I know I'm a little bit tired. My daughter, she was somewhere in the back. I don't know where she went. Christina, where are you at? Christina had my kid. She's with my wife. So my daughter, Kara, she's here. Uh, you're going to probably see her running around. Uh, my daughter, Kara, I love her, but there's something wrong with that child. We think she needs to go visit a medical professional because she's absolutely bonkers. And so last night, my family, they all went to bed, my wife and my kids and my sister. And... Uh, they all went to bed. Hey, everybody give it up for uh, everybody give it up for the DJ in the back. Give it up. Oh, he he hid. That little that little nod, he offered me a drink of water. That's really cute because it's a little hot outside. But last night I, I went to bed and my family was was all asleep. And so I went to bed quite a bit later than they did. And so I went in our little, we stay in this, do you guys know they have like this dope little hotel here? So you guys are on like plastic mattresses, and I'm in a I'm in an executive suite. I'm in Trump Tower over here at Harlan. Okay, it's legit. But I go in, it's pretty late. It's like 1:30, or I don't I don't even know what time it was. I was so tired. I go in, and uh, what are those little beds called that are under beds? Trundle beds. So I got a trundle bed but I get my own bed, which at home, I don't get my own bed, so this is a real treat. So I'm excited. I go and I lay down on the trundle bed. It's like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm so excited to go to sleep. I close my eyes, put my little blankie on me that I brought from home, and all of a sudden, I hear my three-year-old crying. And I was like, oh, no, what's going on? And so I assumed she was having a bad dream. And so I ripped the covers off in rage. And I walk over to Karis. And I pick her up. And she's just weeping. She's crying. And so I'm trying to soothe her like this, like a, like a kind father. And so I put her in bed with me. We lay in the, we lay in the trundle, the floor bed. And I'm, I'm rubbing her back. I say, Karis, it's OK, baby. It's OK. It's just a bad dream. Go back to bed. Daddy's here. The monster's not going to get you. I'm going to protect you. And I kid you not. My three-year-old daughter, she went into the push-up position. She pushed herself up, looked at me, went, and I was like, I was like, oh, there's a demon at Heartland, and it's my kid. Okay, so I was petrified, and so I got her mom. I said, you take that one. I'm going to take the nice ones. And so it was an interesting night. She did that all night. And then this morning, I went and had, I had uh, breakfast with her, and I, I said, Karis, we're out in the playground. I said, Karis, why did you scream at Daddy last night? And she goes, I didn't scream at Daddy. And I said, Karis, and I like brought her close, and I said, Karis, you went, and she goes, ah, yeah, I did it, huh? Was, that funny? And I, she always does this, that funny? And I was like, not funny, you idiot. So there it is. All right, friends, let's do this. If you have your Bibles. So here's, here's the point. I pray that you did not have a demon in your cabin with you last night because I did, and it was awful. If you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to give you a little tip here. Every time we meet together this week, we're going to be in essentially the same chapter of Scripture, the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Now, last night, we began this little mini-series together here this week at camp by looking at the life of who? Who did we talk about last night? We talked about Noah. Now, I didn't bring this up last night, and I, and I probably should have, but we consider Noah to be a spiritual hero. And friends, the reason that we consider Noah to be a spiritual hero, and, and the reason he's listed in, in Hebrews chapter 11, what we call the Hall of Faith, the reason he's a hero is not because he was mighty, it's not because he was strong, it's not because he himself was great. No, the reason we consider Noah to be a hero is because he served a great God and had immense amount of faith in him. And really what we learned last night from Noah's story is that in our dark world, we have two options. We can either run or we can what? 
We can preach. We can engage in the world around us. Noah was a picture of great faith in the Old Testament. And this morning, we're going to look at a man who is honestly quite like him. This morning, we're going to look at the story of another man who loved the Lord and who sought to be obedient to him regardless of the cost. This morning, we're going to look at the life of a man named Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8, the author of Hebrews says this. He says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose architect and whose builder is God himself. By faith, Abraham. Now, quick show of hands here. How many of you guys have heard about Abraham before? Anybody ever heard the name Abraham before? Okay, Abraham, like Moses, is one of those incredibly, excuse me, Noah, is, is one of those incredibly well-known characters from Scripture. And chances are, uh, if you grew up in a Christian home, then chances are you learned a very cheesy song about Abraham. You guys, all, all your homeschool kids are like, yeah, that's a banger. Right? We're going to sing together. You ready? One, two, three. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right? You remember that? And then it got weird because at the end of it, you're doing this. Father Abraham. And people wonder... Why Christians are considered to be a little bit weird. And all the kids here who didn't grow up in church are like, is this a cult? What is Heartland all about? There's demons. And now these kids are singing. Now, I know that there are some of you who probably don't know that song, but chances are most of you know Abraham's story. And likely when you think about Abraham and who he was and what he did, there was probably one event from his life that comes to your mind before any other. What event from Abraham's life is he most famous for? I'm going to give you a hint. Yeah, sacrificing his son Isaac. You guys remember that story? Yeah. Right? I'm gonna, let me sum it up for if you've never heard the story before, if you, if you maybe you've forgotten just a little bit. You see, Abraham and his, and his wife Sarah, they're, they're, they were incredibly old. And the scriptures tell us that they could not have children born to them. But God promises Abraham that he was going to give Abraham a son. He promised Abraham that from Sarah, he was going to have a boy of his own. And sure enough, God promised, and so God delivered. Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. It was nothing less than an absolute miracle. Now, let me ask you guys this question. When Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah, their firstborn son that they had as old, 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 old people, when Isaac was born, do you suppose that they loved that little guy? Oh, heck yeah, they did. You know, the oldest of my sisters, her name is Morgan, for years she struggled with infertility. She couldn't have a baby. She had this rare medical condition, and every doctor she went to, they kept telling her, well, you'll probably never, ever, 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 ever be a mother. And so for years they tried to have children. For years they tried to get pregnant, and a little bit over a year ago they did. My sister got pregnant. She had a beautiful baby girl who just turned one. And let me tell you something, friends. I have, I've not seen this happen very often, but I have not seen someone love a child like my little sister loves her baby girl. And you see, I think the reason she loves her so much is incredibly simple. She loves her daughter, Reese, because she thought she would never have her. And friends, that's the exact same with Abraham. Abraham never thought that he would be a father. 
Abraham never thought that he would have a son of his own. But then Isaac is born. He is the apple of his father's eye, and Abraham loves him so much. But then God calls Abraham to do something which at first seems just a little bit ridiculous. God calls Abraham in Genesis 15 to take his son, his only son, his beloved son, his Isaac. He tells Abraham to take Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, what's interesting is when you read the passage, Abraham is really not at all argumentative. Abraham doesn't begin to bargain with God. He doesn't go, okay, well, well, okay, you want Isaac? How about I give you like 19 camels? My son's got to at least be worth 19 camels. He doesn't barter. He doesn't try to trade. The way the text reads friends is that Abraham simply responded in obedience. He took his son, his only son, his beloved son Isaac, up to Mount Moriah, which also I always think, what was it like being Isaac? You're walking up this mountain. Hey, Daddy. What are we doing today? We're going to go offer sacrifice to the Lord. Okay, um, where's the sacrifice? And then they get up there, and Abraham says, hey, Isaac, put these ropes on. <laughs> okay, Daddy, I'm going to put these ropes on. Hey, Isaac, why don't you go ahead and lay on that, uh, that, that uh, pile of firewood over there? Okay, Dad, no problem, Dad. <laughs> Friends, without a moment's hesitation, Abraham bound his own boy. His only son placed him on the altar and with a knife in hand prepared to offer his own flesh and blood as a sacrifice to the one true God. Now we know the rest of the story, don't we? God intervened. He provided Abraham a ram caught in the thicket and Isaac was spared. Friends, that is without a doubt the most famous and popular and well-known story from Abraham's life. But I'm going to propose to you this morning that that is not the most important part of his story. And friend, instead, friends, I believe that the most important part of Abraham's story is his beginning. You know, we're talking this week about true power and superheroes. And so the most important part about Abraham's story is his origin, his origin story. Where did Abraham come from? The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, he gives us a, a little, little insight here. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out. Now, where did Abraham set out to? If you have your Bibles open. Where did he set out to? Verse 8. He sent out to the promised land. That's not what it says. It says that he set out to a place he did not know. And then in verse 9, it says that Abraham, he went and he lived as a foreigner in the land. He went and he lived in a tent. Now, friends, I'm curious. Is there any super, super saved homeschool kid? I love super saved homeschool kids. He said, I got, I'm right here, bro. I don't even know your question. I got it. Are there any super safe homeschool kids who know where it was that Abraham came from? Where was he from originally? Someone said it. Say it louder. He was from Ur of the Chaldeans. Right? He was from a far away land, a pagan land. Listen to what Joshua says. This is Joshua chapter 24. Uh, Joshua chapter 24, verse 27. Joshua tells us that Abraham and his family, they came from across the Euphrates River, that they came from the land of Ur. But then there's this little note there about Abraham, his father, uh, his father uh, Terah, and his brother uh, Nahor. It says this. It says that Abraham, his father, and Nahor, they worshipped other gods. Friends, today we remember Abraham as this great pillar of faith, but oftentimes we forget that at one point in Abraham's life, he was nothing more than a wicked idolater. Friends, at one point in Abraham's life, he would have engaged in pagan worship. At one point in Abraham's life, he would have offered pagan sacrifices to false gods made of wooded stone. At one point in Abraham's life, he was probably like my three-year-old daughter in the middle of the night would wake up and go, 
Guys, Abraham was a man who at one point was into some pretty dark, dark, dark stuff. Need I even say maybe some borderline demonic stuff. And yet this man, he leaves his family. He leaves his home. He leaves everything behind. Why? Well, verse 8 tells us it's because God called Abraham. Now, I know full well this morning that you guys probably don't make a ton of phone calls today. Right? If you want to get in touch with somebody, what do you do? You text them. What else? Any guys, do you guys still Snapchat? Yeah. That's the thing? What's that called? What's, is it like you snap each other? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. I've been out of the scene for a little. What else do you guys do? You, is Be Real still a thing? Yeah. You Instagram matches them? What, is what, you guys use WhatsApp or is that only in foreign countries? Yeah. Who said email? This strange boy over there somewhere. He said, I email them. I email all the ladies. They never respond. I don't understand. <laughs> right? Most of the time, friends, if you want to get in contact with somebody, you text them, you snap them, you be real them, you Instagram DM them, or if you're the weird eighth grader over here, you email them. <laughs> but very few of you probably ever make phone calls. In fact, this is what I found. Some people today are afraid to make a phone call. Now, we're going to be honest. When your cell phone rings and it's an unknown number, does your heart drop? Yeah. Who the heck is this? When you have to make a phone call, do you ever get a little bit of fear in your body? No. No, you, I, you're liars. I'll tell you, my wife's here somewhere. My wife is afraid of making phone calls. I'm going to call her out. She hates making phone calls, right? We'll literally be at home and say we have to call the kid's doctor. Maybe they, like last week, our, our kid had a doctor's appointment. I said, Hannah, you need to call Dr. Okizi. And she goes, oh, no, 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 you're going to call Dr. Okizi. Now, mind you, Dr. Okizi is a pretty intimidating woman. So maybe there's that it. But she hates making phone calls. I make all the calls in my family. Now, friends, I'm going to stop burning my wife because I am mildly afraid of her. But here's the point I'm trying to get at. <laughs> When you call somebody on the phone, you're trying to do two things. You're trying to communicate to them, but you're also trying to get their attention. Right? My three-year-old daughter, when we're at home and she's in a room and she's playing, doing like borderline demon stuff, who knows what she's doing in there. But when she's in a room playing and if she needs me and if she doesn't want to come out of her bedroom, do you know what she begins to do? She begins to call for her dad. This is how that goes. This is, and this, I kid you not, my daughter's a strange female. She does this. It starts sweet and it starts innocent. Daddy, daddy. Anybody watch Miss Rachel? Anybody got little kids around? Okay, she'll do like Miss Rachel. Dad, dad. And it's weird because she's not a baby. And then when that doesn't work, this is what she does. She drops her voice a couple octaves. So it goes from dad, dad to dad, dad. And I'm like, I'm a little afraid to go in her room. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Who's in there with my kid? And then, check this out, friends. If, she, if I don't answer her, this is what happens next. And it happens all the time. We're working on it. She's a sinner who needs the grace of God. But if I don't respond, and if the demon call doesn't work, this is what she does. She goes, Monty. Monty. Where are you, Monty? Oh, man. And then I walk in the room and she just goes, <laughs> like she goes, it worked, right? Friends, when my daughter calls me from her room, she's trying to get my attention. And so when Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says that God called Abraham. Friends, what it means here is that God finally got Abraham's attention. Abraham began to understand that well, there is a God. There is a true God. There is a living God. God got his attention and here was Abraham's response. It was obedience. Friends, without a moment hesitation, Abraham, he just left. He left it all behind. 
He left a cush life in Ur to go and live in a tent in the middle of the desert. Friends, I tell you this. If I went home this next weekend and if I walked up to my parents and my in-laws and I said, hey, you know what? Me and my family, we're going to go and we're going to go live in a tent in the Mojave Desert. Do you know what my parents would probably try to do to me? They would probably try to admit me into a mental institution. Like, friends, what Abraham was doing probably made no sense to the people who were around him. There were probably doubters, but Abraham responded in obedience. And the reason he was so obedient was because he believed the promises that God had made him. You see, friends, up at this point in Abraham's life, God had promised him that he would one day be a mighty nation. God had promised Abraham that one day his descendants would outnumber the stars. God promised Abraham that from his family tree would one day come a man who would bless the entire earth. Friends, Abraham believed every promise God made him. Abraham had faith. Friends, one of the most important things you need to understand about Abraham, and maybe the biggest thing that Abraham's life teaches us, is that if you claim to have faith, if you claim to believe in the promises of God, that should create in you a type of radical obedience. Friends, did you know this morning that God has made us promises like he's made promises to Abraham? If you're a Christian here this morning, God has promised you today that he will never leave you or forsake you. He has promised that he will give you rest. He will promise that he will be with you in times of trouble. He has promised that he will finish the work that he has started within you. God has promised you today that he will give you a new and a better life. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, you may say to yourself, well, Monty, I do believe God's promises. But friends, do you really? Friends, this morning, you may say you have faith, but let me ask you this very simple question. Are you obedient? You know, about six years ago, I had the pleasure of meeting an incredible man. I had the pleasure of meeting a gentleman named Nick Ripkin. Now, Nick Ripkin and his, and his wife, Ruth, they served for over 30 years in the foreign mission world in, in some of the darkest countries on the face of the planet. It was towards the end of one of their missionary journeys. They were in a, in a country that was closed off to the gospel, and their son had a medical emergency. They were essentially, they were deep off in the bush and there was no doctors or nurses present. And so Nick, he grabbed his boy, he threw him up in the pickup truck that they had had for years and he drove as fast as he could to the nearest hospital. But about halfway there, he looked in his rearview mirror and he watched as his son just passed away. Now here they are, they're, they're, they're missionaries in a foreign land trying to be obedient to God and he's just lost his child. Now, obviously, any time a parent loses a, a, a baby, any time a parent loses one of their own, it's heartbreaking. And it most definitely broke Nick's heart, but it also did something else. It inspired Nick. Friends, for the rest of his life, Nick would then go out and he would visit other suffering Christians around the world. He would go out to the darkest parts of our world and he would find persecuted believers because he wanted to hear their story. He wanted to understand how it is that they are thriving and, and being great followers of Jesus in a persecuted land. Nick did that for years and he compiled those, those stories into an incredible book called The Insanity of God. If you're a high school student, that is the, if I could recommend one book you read, go read The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. It'll change your life. In that book, he tells a story of a man he met in his travels named Dimitri. 
Dmitry was a Christian who lived in Russia during the, the communist reign. He, he lived in Russia during the reign of the Soviet Union. Now, Dmitry, he has a, he has a very interesting story. Growing up in Russia, he was raised in a, in a good Christian home. He had great Christian parents. They taught him the things of God. He went to church on a, on a very regular basis. But as the Communist Party rose to power, Dimitri's family's church, the church they loved, it was shut down. Soon after, his mother passed away. Soon after, his father passed away. And Dimitri, by his own admission, says that when his parents died, his faith went with them. Friends, years would go by. Years. Dimitri, he would relocate to a small Russian village. He would meet a woman. He would fall in love with her. He would begin a family of his own. His, his kids, they would grow into, into be teenagers, 12, 13, 14 years old. And friends, one day, Dimitri, he became under an incredible amount of conviction. He was sitting in his room, and he was, he was the, the living room, essentially, of their home, and he was listening to how his, how his sons were speaking to one another. And he hated the way they were acting. And so Dimitri decided, you know what, I, I don't remember much about the Bible, but I think I'm going to try to teach my children the things of God. And so what Dimitri began to do is he would gather his boys up. He would gather his wife up in their small little Russian home. And from memory, he would just recite Bible verses. From memory, he would begin to tell his sons the stories from scriptures that he had, he had grown up hearing as a child. Now, this was a very poor village, and so these homes weren't like homes in the sense where we think of them. They had very thin walls. They didn't really have windows. They had essentially netting. They had very thin doors, and there was, so, there was, no, there was no amount of privacy. And so as you would expect, as Dimitri's in his home teaching his children the things of faith and things of God, his neighbors began to notice. But instead of turning Dimitri in to the communist authorities, they asked if they and their children could be a part of it. Friends, weeks and, and months went by. Essentially what happened is that little Bible study that started with Dimitri and his, and his three kids and his wife grew into dozens of people meeting in his little living room. And then people from other nearby visitors, uh, villages, they heard what Dimitri was, was doing. And so they would make the day track. And before you know it, his entire house was surrounded by people who wanted to hear the word of God taught. Now, obviously, there was pushback. When the Communist Party heard what was going on, they told Dimitri that he needed to stop preaching. They told Dimitri that he needed to stop sharing the things of God, that he needed to stop sharing Scripture. But every time Dimitri was told to stop, he honestly just began to preach even louder. Eventually, it got to the point where each and every time Dimitri would preach, the Communist Party, the Russian forces, they would push through the crowd in his home. And in front of his children, they would beat him and beat him and beat him and beat him until he stopped proclaiming the things of God. But friends, you know what Dimitri did right when they left and right when he got up? He began to preach again, again and again and again. And friends, it got to this point. It got to the point where Dimitri... This, this regular dude, this husband, this, this father, this dad, who wanted nothing more than to teach his children the simple truths of Scripture, it got to the point where he was thrown into a dark, dank Russian prison cell and sentenced to, sentenced to execution. Now, friends, let me ask you this. What would make a man like Dimitri so bold? What would make someone like Abraham so bold? What would make someone like Noah so bold? Friends, it was faith. 
It was faith in the promises of God. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a really great definition of faith. Listen to this. It says, faith is the reality of what is hoped for. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for. Literally, faith is the reality of what we have to look forward to. You see, the reason that Dimitri and Noah and Abraham were so obedient despite the cost is because they knew that something greater awaited them. And friends, the same could actually be said of Jesus of Nazareth. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this of Jesus. It says that for the joy that laid before him, he endured the cross. You see, friends, the reason that Jesus was crucified willingly was because he knew that something great would come out of it. He knew that people would be saved. He knew that lives would be made new. He knew that he would be sitting at the right hand of the Father forever. Friends, we could say this morning that Jesus had faith. And Jesus' faith produced obedience. And so here's my challenge to each and every single one of you this morning. As you go about your day, if you consider yourself to be a Christian, if you consider yourself to be a follower of the one true God, if you say, I have faith, answer this question. Am I obedient? The Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, he says, the one who says, I have come to know him. Who's the him? It's Jesus. It's God. The one who says, I have come to know Jesus and yet does not keep his commands. In other words, the one who says, I have come to know Jesus and is not obedient. Listen to how John describes that person. He says, that person is a liar and the truth is not in him. Friends, I am a lot of things, but I am no fool. I know full well that there are people in this area today who say they are followers of the one true God, who say they are Christians, who say they have faith, but there is no obedience. John says you're a fake, you're a phony, you're a liar, you're a sham, you're a counterfeit. Now, yeah, you might go to church. You might volunteer in youth group. Your daddy might be a pastor. He might be a deacon. Externally, you might look very Christian. But friends, when the veil is torn off, you are nothing more than dead man's bones. You know, every week in our churches, every week, there are people who sit in our pews, who sit in our seats, who look very, very Christian. But the reality, friends, is that their father is the devil. Friends, I wonder, is that any of you? Is there anyone here this morning who externally looks Christian but has never had a true and a living relationship with the God of the Bible to begin with? If that's you, friends, I urge you today to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus as Lord. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the example you've given us through Abraham. Lord, the example of obedience. Lord, I pray for the followers of Jesus here today that we would be obedient. But Lord, I pray for the people here today that are shams, that are liars, that are hypocrites. Lord, we pray that you would convict them of their sin this morning and you would draw them to yourself today. Lord, we pray as we go about the rest of our day together that you and you alone be glorified. 
We love you, Jesus. And all of Heartland Christian Camp said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. See you later.